pray. Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to have your word and to have it in a language that is our heart language that we can speak and read. We thank you for that privilege and for the blessing of your word. We thank you for your spirit. And like we do every Lord's Day, we ask that the Holy Spirit might take the word of God and that he might enlighten us, that he might teach us in order that he might shape us to be more like Jesus. Lord, this morning we pray that you would have your will, your way in us and among us and certainly through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series on Jesus loves his church and the Lord Jesus is building his church. And the church the Lord Jesus is building is a church which is made up of believers. Everybody is invited, but only believers are included. A church which is united. He prayed for that. He desires that. Just as he has an intimacy with the Father, so he desires us to have that intimacy, not only with Father, Son and Spirit, but also with one another, that we would be close and connected. The Lord Jesus instituted two ordinances, and we spoke a couple of weeks ago about communion. The Lord's Supper, where we are reminded about his death, his body given, blood shed. But he also gave us another ordinance, which is baptism, which is the one we come to today, which reminds us about his burial and his resurrection. Both ordinances point, they're signs that point to him. And last Sunday we spoke about Jesus certainly wants us united, but because we live in a fallen world, sometimes we do and will either say or do things that may hurt or offend a brother or a sister. And we spoke very specifically about the instructions Jesus gave to us as his followers about what we should do when we see a brother or sister sin. What is our involvement? How did you go this week? Get an opportunity? It's been a tough week in the church office. You'll find out more about that, I'm sure, in the days to come. But it has been uh, difficult and God's still working his purposes out. The Lord Jesus is the one who gave us baptism, therefore. He wants his church to be a church which is obedient to him. That's the point. And this morning's talk, we're going to, if you've got questions about baptism, well then perhaps this may address some of them. Uh, but also, for those who are followers of the Lord Jesus and you have been baptised, then it might also be a means of equipping you that you may be able to answer other people's questions about baptism. The questions I'm going to address are these. What is it? How do we baptise? Why do we baptise? Who do we baptise? Does baptism save? And should I be rebaptized? If you're asking a different question, then by all means, feel free to write it down on that yellows form or come and have a chat or whatever you think. Even engage in a conversation with one another, those left and right of you. So this morning, what is it? What is baptism? <clears throat> Particularly for those of you who don't have much of a church background or much of a history uh, associated with following the Lord Jesus, then I want you to hear this morning that baptism is all about him. It points to him. It visualises the gospel for us, as I already indicated. The Lord's Supper reminds us of his death, body given, blood shed. And baptism reminds us of his burial, completely under the water, and his resurrection, 
Both ordinances point to the work, the gospel work of the Lord Jesus. So it's all about him. It's not about us. That's us being obedient to him. Baptism, in fact, makes no sense without Jesus. He was the one who is God, was with God, with the Father, who came to earth, incarnated and fully um, took on full humanity um, and yet lived without sin. I know you know this, but I'm just reminding you. He is the one who died on cross, Calvary's cross for us as a substitute. The death penalty that was ours, he endured. He was our substitute. And baptism reminds us and points us to that. And this passage, Romans 6, also takes us to the step of what happened to him is what happens to us. So baptism is all about him, but it's for all of us. Baptism is for all Christ's followers. If you've asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sin, to be your saviour, if you confess that he is Lord, then as Lord, we are to obey him. It's for all of us. And for those who get baptised in our 10.30 service this morning and in our 6.30 service tonight, there'll be folks who will be glorifying God this way by this act of obedience. It'll be a blessing to them, but it's a great benefit also to the church as we participate and watch. It's a public event. It doesn't have to be in a church service, but it does have to be before others. You can't do a baptism by yourself. That's what it means. It's a public event, a public picture and declaration of who Jesus is and who we are in him. So it's all about him and it's all for, um, it's for those who believe in him. In fact, this passage, Romans 6, points out to us that what happened to Jesus happens to us. Verse 6 talks about um, he was crucified, so now we have crucified our sinful nature. He died for our sins, so we have died to our sin. Died not meaning that we are unresponsive, but rather died as in we are separated from. We have been set free. We're no longer enslaved to sin. That's the New Testament truth that needs an outworking in our contemporary lives. Uh, verse 4 says that he was risen so in baptism and spiritually we have risen with him to walk in a new life. We've transferred kingdoms. That's what baptism indicates. Not what it does, but it's what it's pointing to, this spiritual transaction. And therefore the passage concludes by saying, verse 11... So you two are, are to consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. No to me and to my sinful nature and yes to him and to whatever he wants me to do. And then verse 13, don't present your bodies, the members of your body, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But rather, it's a choice. Present yourself to God daily. Surrender to him. So question one, what is baptism? It's a picture of Jesus reminding us of his death, his burial, his resurrection, and it's a public act of identification with him. We are declaring that we are for him, that we are in him, and that we are, um, and he is for us. Second question, <clears throat> how do we baptise? The New Testament was written in Greek, and therefore, the Greek word for baptize, baptizo, means to dip. It comes, in fact, from a, the root of the word is bap. And that word is actually used three times in the New Testament. And each time, even in our English translation, it is translated dip. You know where Jesus dips the sop into the wine at the Last Supper? It's dip. It's that. 
or in Luke 16 where um, the rich man in Hades, place of torment, uh, asks for someone to dip their finger in some water so that he can be cooled from it. In the Revelation, the blood of Jesus' garment is dipped in blood in his crimson colour. The word means to plunge, to dip, to immerse, to dunk, to go under the water. That's its first and primary meaning. Like all words, they have secondary and figurative meanings. And in the New Testament, twice, it's translated to wash. And it means a thorough washing, cleansing. Back in the first century, if you saw a ship sink, you would say that ship is baptizo. It's gone under the water. If someone was washing up the dishes, you would say to them, you'd say to the kids, can you baptise those dishes, please? That's the word they used. And they all knew what it meant. It means to go under the water. Um, That's the first reason why. How do we baptise? We baptise by immersion. Uh, This is the method of John the Baptist. He baptised in the River Jordan, Mark chapter 1, verse 5. Why? Because you need a lot of water to immerse somebody. So he went looking for it. John 3.23, in fact, says he was baptising near this place called Anam, near Salem, because there was much water there. This was the example of the Lord Jesus, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. He went down and he came up out of the water. He went down into the River Jordan and he was immersed. He was baptised, which means to go under the water. And finally, it certainly is the example of the early church. Uh, Just as Jesus was totally buried, completely buried, so he was completely under the water. Just as he really rose from again, so we rise again. There are, of course, some exceptions. The preferred way, the best way, the picture that brings out this picture of Romans 6 is by immersion. But even our, our church has, over the years, and it's in our constitution, we do allow for some exceptions. But that's what they are. There are exceptions. The normal way is by immersion. Um, and very early on in the early church, there is a wonderful document called the Didache, means the teaching. It's called the teaching of the 12 apostles. It isn't, but that's what it was called. But it is a document from about 110 AD. So 50 years after the apostles, 40 years after the apostles, and maybe even only something like 10 or 12 years after the apostle John. And they have a wonderful paragraph in that where they say that when it comes to baptism, we should baptise in living water. Living water means a river, not a pool. And then they say, but if no living water is available, there's no river, then to use both still water and to immerse in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But if there's not enough water, then to pour. And if there's not enough water, then to sprinkle. It has this, we prefer to do it that way. But if there's not enough water, do it this way. There are exceptions. Now, we don't quote and follow the Didache because it's not a New Testament document, but it is an early church document and it gives that wise permission, I think, that this is the preferred way because it's full of meaning. But what if there are exceptional circumstances and some of you have not been immersed but you have been baptised as a believer and probably by pouring or by sprinkling because of whatever context, cultural context you were in at the time. Um, I need to watch my time but we had, I don't know if I've told you this story or not, Uh, We had a lady who was 94, uh, Anglican Church. Did I tell you this story already? Not today, previous weeks. (laughs) 
94. I had a, anyway, lovely lady. And uh, she ended up uh, coming to us as a church and she wanted to become a member. And our previous church, likewise, had an exception clause. Not what we prefer, but there is an exception and the leaders of the church can use that uh, with discretion. And she came to us and some people said, well, she needs to be baptised um, by immersion. She was 94 and as often happens for elderly folk, and she was certainly at that stage where, you know, it was difficult for her even to make a step, you know, to lift her legs. It was more like a shuffle is how she walked. So it's not too different to here. There were more steps at our previous church, but for her to even get into the baptistry would have been incredibly difficult, would have been very embarrassing. And so some of these dear folk who were, they wanted to be immersion and no exceptions, is they thought we should go down to the local swimming pool where there are steps. And I said, I don't think she can do the steps. So they said, well, let's get a crane at one of those hoists <laughs> and we'll swing her out and then we'll let her down and then we'll bring her back up. And I said, well, you can do that if you want, but I won't be there and I don't want anything to do with it. That strikes me as being ridiculous. I wonder what the Lord Jesus thought. Um, you might disagree with me, but I think the Lord Jesus says that's ridiculous. <laughs> That's not what he intended when he commanded this. So how do we baptise? By immersion. That's the preference. Um, but like I've been rabbiting on about for a few minutes now, there are exceptions. Um, so don't go looking for loopholes. Um, next. Why, um, why do we baptise? For one very simple reason. It's an act of obedience. God always blesses obedience, that's certainly true. There is blessing associated with it, but the reason we take this step is because he commanded it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and then teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 41, you have exactly how the early apostles understood that command. Uh, we looked at this a few weeks ago. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up, he preaches, and the people say, what are we going to do? And Peter says, repent, each one of you, and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll see the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and for your children, for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And he then exhorts them. Verse 41 says, so those who accepted his message were baptised. And that day about 3,000 people were added. If you have to baptise with a lot of water, where do they get the water in Jerusalem from? There are at least five large pools in Jerusalem. They probably used those. But the scriptures don't say. They just said they were baptised. Or this very specific command, which I often quote, it's Acts chapter 10, verse 48. This is where Peter has gone almost against his culture and against the trend of what everybody thought, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles, and you don't have anything to do with the Gentiles. And here is Peter going to the house of a Roman centurion, a Roman. His name was Cornelius. Peter is obedient after the prompting of the Holy Spirit and three visions. And, and so he goes um, and gets into trouble for it later on. But in the process of going, he simply shares the gospel with them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Verse 48 says, so he gave orders commanded them. He gave orders to them to have them baptised in the name of Jesus. They were ordered, commanded. Why do we baptise? Because it's an act of obedience. Um, 
This is a whole other sermon for another time, probably. But here are just two quick references. Jesus says, John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus? Have you been baptised? Well, if not, why not? Obey him. Do it. Do it today. Do it next service. Don't have a change of clothes. I don't know if we can arrange that or not. Do it tonight. Come back and so that you can be obedient to him. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. And the same author, John, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he writes, you know, punch illy. Is that a word? It is now. John says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments, John says, is a liar and the truth is not in him. What identifies us as followers of the Lord Jesus? Obedience. We do what he says. Why should I go to a brother when I see them sin, whether it's against me or not, and I think it needs talking about because Jesus instructed us to do so. To not do so is disobedience. So why do we baptise? Obedience. Who do we baptise? Now this is where Bible-believing and Jesus-loving Christians all over the world, some of them will disagree with us. Uh, Roman Catholic believers, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Anglicans, the Methodists, and on and on and on, they baptise babies. And we, along with the Brethren, Charismatics, the Pentecostals, we baptise only believers. Why do we do that? Well, because that's how we read the Bible. We can't see it in the Bible where infants were baptised. Those other denominations and those other Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people, theologians, they do see it. Well, I can't see it. <clears throat> so most of the people in Baptist churches don't agree with it. And so therefore, we don't baptise babies, we baptise believers. Um, it's called credo-baptism, which not... This often gets misquoted. It's not adult baptism, it's believer's baptism. Because you may not, you don't have to be an adult to get baptised, but you do have to be a believer. Um, or what do we do with babies then? Um, well, not that there is strong biblical precedent for it. Luke chapter 2, the Lord Jesus was dedicated when he was a child, so that's the example we follow, that's the text we take, and we dedicate our kids to God, we dedicate our parents to God, we give thanks for them. And we pray that the parents will raise them in the ways of God so that one day they'll come to believe in Jesus and when they believe, then they can get baptised. That's how we read the scriptures and therefore that's how we practise. Um, and that text I read to you from Acts chapter 2, don't forget, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. Now, I'm not wanting to get into the whole covenant discussion and about children and families and so on or households and the reality is I can't find an example, not one example in the New Testament where an infant is given the ordinance of baptism and therefore I choose not to go there. For those who can see it or want whatever for whatever reason, if they see it, then that's between them and God and they need to be obedient to how they read the scriptures. Um, but humbly, between 
just you and me and nobody else, they're wrong. Um, See, we have to be careful too that we don't become arrogant about this. We should always be humble. We don't know all things. And it could very well be that they're seeing something that we can't see. Yeah, but I, for the life of me, have already indicated I can't see it. Um, At what age do we baptise them? It's not adults, it's believers. So it's when a person becomes a believer. It's on a case-by-case basis. And therefore, a child could be baptised. In fact, our brothers and sisters in the United States, the Southern Baptist Convention, they baptise children under the age of seven. Four, five, six-year-olds. And they don't bat an eyelid about it. For them, it's normal and expected. For us, we hesitate, don't we? I do. It's, can you demonstrate that you are a believer? And there have been exceptions to that for us here. I've had children come to me who have been about that age, and they said, can I get baptised? I talked to their parents. And on several occasions, we've decided, let's wait till you're a little bit older. Let's wait till you understand more, and, and then we can do it. On the other hand, there have been children that I've spoken to Their faith in Jesus is clear. They know what it means. They know who he is. They know what they're doing. The best example of that, not the only one, but the best example of that for me is Joel Lowe, who was baptised here 10 years ago when he was nine years of age, 11 years ago, when he was nine. And we certainly spoke about it at the leadership level, at the council back in those days, and we came to the point of, oh, we can't deny him. His faith is real, and it's certainly demonstrated in that young man's life. So let there be an investigation at what age. Um, And we need to be wise and careful. Does baptism save? You want the long answer or the short answer? The short answer is no. Long answer is no. Now, see, this is important, particularly if you're talking to somebody, you know, from another denomination or another denominational background, or particularly to a young parent. This is where it can get uncomfortable, but nonetheless, here is the truth as best I understand it. Baptism does not save us. Jesus saves us. You don't have to be baptised to go to heaven. So, therefore, what if a child is not well? What if a child is dying? Do I need to baptise them? Why? Baptism doesn't save them. Jesus saves them. And while I'm on that very tender issue, what happens to infants who die in infancy? What does God do with them? What if they're not baptised? Whether they're baptised or not is not relevant. What about a child, a fetus, a child who is miscarried or aborted or sudden infant death syndrome? My answer is... Jesus decides and he's a God of mercy and Jesus indicated that he loves kids and the kingdom is for kids and he will do exactly that which is right and he is merciful but getting wet baptizing them makes no difference at all it doesn't guarantee or enable them to go to heaven if they go to heaven I think they do then it's because of him and his mercy and he'll do that which is right I like and take comfort in because of my own, our journey, having lost a child. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, where David, when he lost his child, do you remember the first child that Bathsheba gave birth to out of their adulterous relationship? But nonetheless, the child was born and sadly died. Not God's judgment, 
on the child at all. But David makes these words that he cannot come to me, the child cannot return to me because he's died, but I will go to him. Where did the child go? Where did that little baby go? Well, to a place where David would go. And we know David would go to be with the righteous, to be with God's people. So that's not the only text, but that's one of the reasons why I believe that, that I believe our daughter, our third child, is in heaven with Jesus because he is merciful and he will do what's right. And when I see him, then I will believe that and understand that perfectly. Does baptism save? No, it doesn't. Thief on the cross. He was saved, wasn't baptised. There are dozens, there are several dozen examples of people through the, through the Gospels and the Old Testament, the Bible, where people have their sins forgiven, but they're not baptised. Baptism does not save. Baptism does not wash away our sin. Jesus does. It's his death that does that. Remember the man let down through the roof, Mark chapter 2, and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven you. He wasn't baptised. Would have been later, probably, but he wasn't baptised when he was forgiven. So no, baptism does not save. You can get wet. You can go through the motion of a baptism and not be saved. You could be a false believer, but you can also be saved, a true believer, and not be baptised. The issue is Jesus, and it's him plus nothing that saves us, not baptism. Baptism, as I've already indicated, is an act of obedience, not a matter of salvation. Should I be rebaptized? Depends. Usually not. But if you were baptized in a cult like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or some other cult where you were baptized in just in the name of God or the name of the Father or the name of Jesus, just one or the other or whatever, if it was not, I'm saying, in the triune name, then yeah, you should probably get rebaptized and get baptized truly. What about, secondly, if you're like me, if you were baptised as an infant, but I had unbelieving parents, should I get rebaptised? Should I be immersed and declare my faith publicly? Well, I did, and I think you probably should too. Oh, what about me? Not me, but what about others who, um, they were also baptised as infants, but except their parents were believers. And they, for whatever reasons, biblical, theological, or church tradition, they baptised their babies. Do I have to get rebaptized again? Uh, that's up to you. That's between you and God. Our church position on that is that we say, um, yes, you do need to get baptized again. It may not be by immersion. We prefer that it is. There may be some exception there, but you'd, it's believers' baptism. That's how we deal with it. What if I was baptized? as a professing believer and then I got off track I just drifted away and I got into all sorts of mischief and nonsense I was a prodigal in a far country and now I've come back and recommitted my life to Jesus should I get baptised again? no there's only one wedding and there's only therefore one relationship your baptism back then was true valid and real and though you got off course you are now back on course so what is needed is repentance and sanctification but not baptism That's why Ephesians 4 verse 5 says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Meaning, you only get baptised once. You only get married. Well, you're only supposed to get married once. But we live in a fallen world, don't we? 
marriages break up, people get divorced, people get remarried. And it's not like that with Jesus. When you're linked with him, truly, genuinely, and really, that's a one-time event. There is one biblical example where people were rebaptized. It's Acts chapter 19, where the Apostle Paul baptizes a dozen people who are in the city of Ephesus. But they hadn't had a genuine first-time baptism. They had John's baptism, but they'd never heard of the Holy Spirit. So, of course, they got baptized then in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is baptism? It's a picture of Jesus. It's all about him, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And the Lord Jesus asks us to do that before others, to declare our faith before others, publicly to identify with him. How do we baptise? By immersion, with exceptions, but preferably by immersion. Why do we baptise? It's an act of obedience. Who do we baptise? Believers. Doesn't matter about age. What do we do with babies? We give thanks to God for them, we commit them to God. Does baptism save? No. Baptism shows that you are saved. Should I be rebaptized? Well, maybe. Maybe not. Depends on the situation. All right. What about you? If you're not a believer yet in the Lord Jesus, you've been attending our church and our services and you want to find out more, that's excellent. Glad that you're here. You don't need to consider baptism yet. You've got a much prior decision to make, which is this idea of commitment to and believing in the Lord Jesus, committing to him. That's what you need to do. And if you haven't yet, then consider, why not do that today? Why haven't you? If there's something stopping you, come and talk about it. Talk with the people beside you. What about, um, you've been baptised, you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you have been baptised, but you're not growing. You're not maturing. You've sort of plateaued out. What you need to do is to discipline yourself and to... Uh, Read the scriptures and to pray and to not only turn up for church, but get into a life group, involve yourself in ministry. There are spiritual disciplines to follow. Uh, baptism is not the end of the road. Uh, it's a first step in the road. Um, so the Lord Jesus wants you to go on. Go into the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What about you? Maybe you are a Christ follower of the Lord Jesus, but you haven't been baptised. You're disobedient. You need to deal with that disobedience. You need to be obedient. Do what he instructs you to do. Or what about perhaps you're here this morning and you disagree with what I have taught or how we understand what the scriptures teach. Well, we love you, you're welcome, and we're happy to talk and we're happy to learn. Come and teach us. Yeah, we love the Bible, we love the Lord Jesus, and we don't want to use this as a reason to split or divorce, if you like. We want to be followers of the Lord Jesus together. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, for the scriptures. Thanks for the opportunity we have to read it, and to hear it, to learn it. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We pray for those who don't know him yet that you might patiently, gently convict them and draw them to him. We pray for those who are followers of the Lord Jesus but have not been baptised. Lord, impress upon them its importance and I pray that you would uh, motivate them to be obedient to your desires. And then, Lord, for the rest of us who have been baptised and are following you, help us to continue to grow and to mature in Jesus. We pray these things in his name. And everyone said, Amen.